ان الحمد لله نحمده تعالى ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار وبعد فيا ايها المسلمون عباد الله indeed soon either tonight or tomorrow evening we shall be receiving an esteemed and honorable guest and that is the guest of the month of ramadan and the best of people who received this guest and spent time with this with this guest in the best manner with the companions of al mustafa alayhi salatu wassalam and the righteous salaf the righteous predecessors the pious ancestors of this ummah so if we want to observe this ramadan and spend time with this ramadan and honor this guest of ramadan in the best of ways in the best of manners then upon us is to look at their mannerism and their method and their approach in receiving this honorable guest of ramadan one of the main things that a person should look at as far as his receiving this guest of ramadan and spending time with this guest of ramadan is concerned is the muraqaba of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you are conscious of the fact that allah he is watching you when you are engaged in this noble act of worship for that reason we found that some of the salaf they would not exit their house when ramadan came when they were fasting except for the five daily prayers because they feared that when they go out people would say so and so is fasting so the muslim the mu'min he is obligated that when he observes this noble act of worship that he does so bearing in mind his intention that it is only for the sake of allah that he performs this fast out of iman in allah the thing the incentive that has pushed him to do so is his iman in allah seeking the reward of allah desiring to see the face of allah jalla wa'az another matter that should be given importance to in the month of ramadan another matter that the salaf of this ummah gave importance to in the month of ramadan is that book which was revealed in the month of ramadan which book the quran the salaf of this ummah they gave great importance to the quran reciting it to such an extent that the person he should recite the quran and make khatam of the quran i.e he should recite it from beginning all the way to the end 
several times in Ramadan. This is something that is encouraged. We find that from the Salaf, Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he would complete the recitation of the Quran in the Salat al-Tarawih within three nights. Within three nights, he would complete the recitation of the Quran in Tarawih, in the Qiyam al-Layl, in the night prayer. However, he by himself, he would recite the Quran all together from beginning to end in one whole, one whole night. Likewise, we find others from the Salaf, Sa'id ibn Jubayr radiallahu ta'ala an, and others, they would give great importance to the Quran. Some of them, they would recite the Quran within the month of Ramadan, every three nights, and then when the last ten nights would occur, they would complete the recitation of the Quran every night. A person may say, why is it the case that now when Ramadan, we are encouraged to make khatam of the Quran, recite the Quran from beginning to end several times, when it is the case that Abdullah ibn Amr uh, ta'ala anhuma uh, that he was prohibited from the Messenger of Allah والسلام, from not making khatam of the Quran in less than three days. The ulama such as Imam Ahmad and Ishaq ibn Rahaway and others, they have mentioned that this prohibition of not reciting the complete Quran in less than three days is concerning al-mudawamah, is concerning reciting the Quran in less than three days on a permanent basis, a consistent basis. However, on a temporary basis, when you are in a righteous time, such as Ramadan, or in a righteous place, such as Mecca, for those who visit Mecca, and, not, and they are not from the residents of Mecca, in such situations, a person he should capitalize on that opportunity of that righteous time or that righteous place, it is permitted for him. Rather, it is encouraged for him to recite the Quran several times, completing it several times in the month of Ramadan. And if that hadn't have been the case, then we would never have found the companions, Ridwan Allah Ta'ala alayhim, doing so. In the hadith, whether Angel Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam that the angel Jibreel السلام, used to meet the Messenger of Allah every night in the month of Ramadan, completing the Quran with him twice in the month of Ramadan. From that hadith, the ulama they have deduced that the best time for a person to be reciting the Quran in the month of Ramadan is the night time. Why? Because the night time, that is the time when you get cut off from all of your distractions. You finished work, you finished eating, the children they've been put to bed. So all of those distractions they have gone. And likewise, at that moment in time at night, you are more closer or you are more distant from Ariya. You are more distant from, from showing off, from reciting the Quran in order to be seen or to be heard. Nobody is there except you and your Lord the Most High. For that reason, Allah says, Ya ayyuhal muzzammil, qumil layla, stand in the night, illa qalila, except for a little and then at the end he says and at the, the following ayat from the following ayat he says make tartil of the Quran recite the Quran with contemplation with, de- with deliberation the point is is that the messenger of Allah was commanded to stand at night and pray and to contemplate over the Quran at night why? because at night time your focus can focus better 
on the Quran and the distractions are less and you are more closer to Al-Ikhlas and you are further away from Ar-Riyah, you are further away from showing off. Likewise from those matters that a person should give importance to in the month of Ramadan is the Qiyam al-Layl, is the night prayer. As Allah's Messenger والسلام, he said concerning Abdullah ibn Umar, he said, Ni'mal Rajal Abdullah. Ni'mal Rajal Abdullah. What a good and blessed man is Abdullah. If only he could stand in prayer at night. If only he could stand in prayer at night. After that, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah did not stop, did not cease from engaging in worship at night. He didn't stop and cease from engaging in the Qiyamul Layl, the Tahajjud, the night prayer, up until he passed away, Ridwanullah ta'ala alayhi wa ala abihi wa ala sa'iri sahabati ajma'in. Likewise, from those matters that the person should give importance to in the month of Ramadan is a sadaqah, giving charity. As the Messenger of Allah, alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, Afdal sadaqah, sadaqah fi Ramadan. The best sadaqah is a sadaqah that is given in Ramadan. What a great opportunity it is for us to seize that now the month of Ramadan is approaching and there are so many projects that are available for a person to spend in the path of Allah. Jalla wa'az, not just spending for projects, building of a masjid, the construction of a masjid, but even feeding a person, feeding a person, breaking the fast of another individual. There is great reward in that regard to such an extent that the fasting person whose fast you break by providing him with some food, you will receive the reward of that fasting person without the reward of that fasting being reduced or decreased in anything. To such an extent that Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he used to love breaking the fasts of other people. And if it was the case that he did not break the fast of other people on that day, nobody ate with him on that day, it would greatly affect him. His family at times would have pity on Abdullah ibn, ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. They would close the door so that the fuqara, the poor people, they do not come into his house in order to eat from his food. On an occasion, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he was about to break his fast. He then saw a sa'il, he saw a beggar. When he saw the beggar, he gave his food to the beggar. This is the food that he was going to break his fast with. After that, he went home thinking that he can eat at home. When he got home, all of his family had finished their food and there was no more food left in the house. So thus he ended up fasting on an empty stomach. And last but not least, another matter and an important matter it is that needs to be given importance to in the month of Ramadan is capitalizing upon our time and not socializing too much. There is nothing, there's nothing wrong with um, brotherly socialization and sisterly socialization however now you're you're in the month or the month of ramadan is approaching and the month of ramadan the reward within it it is multiplied greatly so you should capitalize upon that time and not waste that time with excessive socialization as ibn uh, hassan al-basri rahimahullah ta'ala he said there is no day within which the day, the, day, the day breaks. There is no day within which the sun rises. 
illa wa huwa yunadi except that that daybreak it calls out ya ibn adam o son of adam ana khalqun jadid i am a new creation wa ala amlika shahid and i am a witness over your actions fatazawwad minni fa inni idha madaytu la a'ud hatta yawm alqiyamah fa inni idha madayt la a'ud hatta yawm alqiyamah I am a new creation, and I am a witness over your actions, the day is saying. Therefore, take provisions from me, because once I go, I, the daybreak, I shall never ever come back up until the day of standing. Therefore, Ramadan is coming, my brothers and sisters. Capitalize upon that time. Take profit from that time. And don't let this opportunity that you will be privileged to face and to seize, do not allow it to slip past your fingers. وبالله التوفيق وصلى الله على نبينا محمد والحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد it's not I don't believe anybody here is ignorant and unaware as to what has taken place recently whereby a young man he entered the Manchester arena and there he killed himself and with his explosive devices he killed others causing others among them were children for those nails, he had a nail bomb. For those nails and those bolts to pierce into the legs lodged in the faces of children, some of them that were eight years old, as young as eight years old. Now as a result of this, we could say that Ahlul Sunnah, those who adhere to the Book of Allah, and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam, upon the authentic, upon the Orthodox understanding of those two revelations. The understanding of the pious predecessors of this ummah. We as Ahlul Sunnah, we could say that we have two enemies or two adversaries or two opponents that are challenging us or that attempt to challenge us. So you have firstly, obviously those who have committed these acts. Those who have with them the traits of the Khawarij, the renegades, those who declare the blood of the Muslims to be halal, permissible to take. Those who would have no problems in blowing up somewhere here in Bradford or blowing up some other town out in the streets knowing that there's going to be Muslims there as well, knowing that there's going to be the children of, of Muslims there as well. They would have no problem in that regard at all. Their targets are all-inclusive. That's one opponent. And then you have those others from the non-Muslims that are now saying, listen, look. This is what your religion is about. And this is what your book, the Quran, the verses in it, this is what they invite to. This is what they preach. So we say in response to them, firstly, to those who at the very least ascribe themselves to the deen of Islam, to the religion of Islam, that what they rejoice in, in killing the and taking the lives of people who are non-combatants and those people between there is no between there is no there is no war 
that you have committed an act of treachery. Because a person, for him to live in this country, or to enter into this country, you have to come into this country on a visa. And if you're born in this country, then you're born in this country and you have citizenship. And that visa and that citizenship, that is a contract between you and the state. And the Messenger of Allah, والسلام, he told us, he commanded us to fulfill our contracts, to fulfill our agreements, and not to be treacherous, whether to a Muslim or a non-Muslim. Whether it's to a Muslim or a non-Muslim that we are even at war with, you cannot be treacherous to the agreement that you made. What is my proof in that regard? Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu ta'ala an. He's wanting to depart. This is in Sahih Muslim. He's wanting to depart with his father in order to reach the Messenger of Allah. Why? Because the Messenger of Allah is soon about to begin the battle of Al-Badr against the polytheists. On his way, the Quraysh, they seize him. They capture him. They said, you want to go join Muhammad, don't you? You want to go join him to fight against us at the battle of Badr. Hudayfa, he says, no, I only want to go to Medina. I only want to emigrate to Medina. So they took an oath, a covenant, an agreement, a promise from Hudayfa that he's only going to go to Al-Madinah and he's not going to join Muhammad in the battle of Badr. When Hudayfa reached Al-Madinah, he told the Messenger of Allah what had happened. What did the Messenger of Allah say? Did he say, we're at war, so break the agreement and, let's, and join our forces? Did the Messenger of Allah say, Hudayfa, right now this is the first battle that we're going to have ever as Muslims against those people that have been persecuting us. Therefore join our ranks and break the agreement. Did the Messenger of Allah say, Hudayfa, right now we are only a third of the army of our enemies. They will wipe us out. Hudayfa, join the army and break the agreement that you made. No. The Messenger of Allah, alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, he said, we shall fulfill, we shall fulfill the agreement that we have made with them, with our enemies that are going to fight us. We're going to fulfill the agreement that we have made with them and we're going to seek the help of Allah against them. The people who are deen, the people of deen, religious people, devout people, that are people of salah and ibadah, people of righteousness, people of worship, people who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are people who fulfill their agreements. And they don't break their agreements, they're not treacherous to their agreements. Why? Because they fear their Lord the Most High. That is the driving factor that makes us, that makes us not commit acts of treachery like the Khariji people have done. Like the people, like the people who praise and acknowledge and say it's a good thing what has happened in Manchester on Monday night. The Messenger of Allah والسلام, in Sahih Muslim, he said, On the day of standing, a banner, a banner of treachery shall be raised for every single treacherous person. In accordance to the treachery that he committed, fulan. It shall be said, this is the ghadr, this is the treachery of so-and-so, the one who kills not even an enemy combatant that isn't on the battlefield anyway, 
but kills innocent people, kills a child, causes nails to rip through the thighs of a little girl, causes bolts to be pierced into the, into the skull of a little girl, causes parents to be, to be killed and those parents become orphans in a country where he, where he is a citizen of, where he has an agreement not to, not to wage war against that country, that person. He risks on the day of standing being raised with a banner of treachery as a form of humiliation upon him. Humiliation not from creation, but humiliation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we have the second opponents. Those who say, look in your Quran, doesn't it say, وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ fitna." Kill them, O Muhammad, up until there's no more tribulation. وَاقْتُلُوهُمْ حَيْثُ ثَقِفْتُمُوهُمْ وَأَخْرِجُوهُمْ حَيْثُ أَخْرَجُوكُمْ Kill them, O Muhammad. Kill them, O Muhammad, wherever you see them, wherever you, wherever you find them, and drive them out from wherever, you, wherever they drove you out. Aren't these ayat, aren't these verses in the Qur'an? We say yes, but they have their context. They have a reason for which they were revealed. Just like in the Bible, just like in your own scriptures, in other scriptures, you'll find verses talking about killing. You'll find verses such as in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in Deuteronomy, talking about he who does not judge and go by the judgment of the priest, that he should be put to death. And in Leviticus, it mentions about the, ma the man that is found with another man in bed, i.e. that man who has homosexuality with him. That man, he should be put to death. Both of them should be put to death for the abominable deed that they have committed and they have brought about. They are not fit for, 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 for living. And likewise, again in Leviticus, it mentions about the daughter of the priest. If she fornicates, if she brings about dishonor upon her by fornicating and dishonor upon her father, the priest, by fornicating, then what does the Old Testament, what does the Bible say concerning this? It says, burn her to death. More specifically, concerning the infidels in the eyes of the Christians, the non-believers as far as the Bible is concerned. Specifically, what does it say? Let's have a look. Put the ayat and the verses from the Quran aside and let's see what their own scriptures say. It says in Deuteronomy, in chapter 13 from verse 6, if your very own brother, or your son, or daughter, or the wife you love, or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the, to the other, then what does the other scriptures say? What does the Bible say that you should do concerning these people? Do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death. And then the hands of all the people. Stone them to death. The Quran says no. The Bible says. Stone them to death because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So we say to those people, 
that before you come and try to decontextualize those verses from the Quran, from the book of Allah, which is not approached with falsehood, neither from in front of it nor from behind it, first go and try to contextualize the verses from the books that you believe in and that you claim to be adherents to. As for these ayat, kill them wherever you find them. Killing the path of Allah up until there's no fitna. Then these ayat, they were revealed for certain reasons, at certain situations, in certain contexts. And the person who's not biased, he will then look at the whole picture. And one thing that needs to be taken into consideration is that the deen of Islam, the messenger of Allah, alayhi salatu wasalam, never forced anyone to become a Muslim forcing a person to become a Muslim embracing Islam forcing him to do so that is not legislated in our deen in any way whatsoever Allah Jalla wa Aziz said in his book La ikraha fi deen qad tabayyana rushdu min al there is no compulsion in religion indeed the the correct path the upright path has been made clear and distinct from the erroneous path. I.e. the truth is clear. So he who wants to believe, he will believe. And he who wants to live in denial, he will live in denial. But there is no forcing him into embracing Islam. Yes, it's not the case. This ayah does not mean that a person is free to choose whatever religion he wants and Allah will accept any religion. No, the only religion that Allah will accept is Al-Islam. But the ayah is indicating that none can be physically forced to embrace Islam. Why? Because genuine Islam from a person, genuine surrender and submission from a person, that Islam that benefits, that Islam, it takes place in the heart and then it has its manifestation upon the tongue and upon the limbs. Genuine Islam, embracement of Islam, it occurs within the heart and none possesses any authority over the heart. Other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This ayah, it was revealed concerning whom? Before Islam, some of the Ansars, some of the helpers in Medina, they gave their children away to the Jews. And then those children were brought up as Jewish children. Then later on, when the people from Ansar, when they embraced Islam, they forced, they wanted to force their children who had become Jewish to become Muslim. So then this ayah was revealed, لا إكراه في الدين There is no compulsion in the religion, i.e. you cannot compel your children or any other non-Muslim to become a Muslim. The location of a person, his genuine Islam is the heart and you have no authority over that. So then they may say, then what about these verses in the, in the Qur'an talking about qital, talking about killing and fighting, talking about wherever you find the disbelievers kill them. Then firstly about jihad. What is jihad? What is the purpose behind this jihad? Who, the manifestation, one of its primary manif manifestations is killing. The great, uh, the, the noble brother, Abu Iyad Amjad Rafiq, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, one of the foremost callers to Islam in the Western world, and one of the most prolific da'iyas, Call us to Islam in the English-speaking Western world. He has compiled a book, this book here, a brief guide to Islam and its position towards Al-Qaeda and ISIS. This book that was published 
a year and uh, over a year ago. In this book, this noble brother, he has compiled in a question and answer format misconceptions that many people may have concerning al-jihad, whether they be Muslim or whether they be non-Muslim. So we will take a brief excerpt from this book in order to give a taste as to what type of content you may find in this book, more specifically regarding this question about jihad and the ayat of Allah Jalla wa'az concerning jihad and what was the purpose concerning them. So the brother he writes, he said on page 64, from it, i.e. from jihad, which means struggle, but it has its various different forms. From its outward manifestations is the jihad of fighting. This takes the form of legitimate, just warfare, whose objective is to remove aggression against the peaceful proclamation and practice of Islam, to protect its adherents from tribulation and to establish justice. All nations assume the right to wage war for the protection of their values, wealth and land in order to preserve national security. However, it should be made clear that war in Islam is not a war of colonialism, nor is it a war of economies or to dispossess people of their land, property and wealth, nor is it to globalize trade or open up free markets, nor is it to extract minerals, metals and fuels from usurped land, nor is it to display the superiority of one's tribe, race or nation. Then on the following page, on page 66, the brother he makes a quote of Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, it will become clear to whoever reflects upon the biographical account of the Prophet ﷺ, that he did not compel a single person to accept his religion ever. Rather, he fought whoever fought against him first. As for the one who made a truce with him, he never fought him so long as that person remained upon the truce and did not violate his covenant. Ibn al-Qayyim, he then, later on, he goes on to mention... Likewise, when he وسلم, made a truce with the Quraysh for 10 years, he never initiated fighting against them until they initiated fighting against him and violated their covenant. When they did that, he fought against them in their lands. Prior to that, they had fought against him, such as when they desired to kill him on the day of Uhud and the day of the battle of Al-Khandaq. And the battle of Badr as well, they came to fight against him first. But if they had turned away from him and left him, he would not have fought them. The intent here, Ibn al-Qayyim, he says, the intent here is that he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, never compelled anyone to enter his religion ever. Rather, the people entered his religion willfully out of choice. The whole Arabian Peninsula, within a space of eight or so years, all of them embraced Islam. Within eight years, only eight to nine hundred lives were lost. And those lives that were lost were lost as a result of the persecution that the people made against the Messenger of Allah والسلام, and not him initiating any type of aggression against others. Therefore, based upon the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah والسلام, 
and the guidance that he came with and the sunnah that he had and his biography, his seerah, the takfiris and the kharajites and those people who commit these suicide bombings, they have no leg to stand. And likewise, the haters of Islam who try to distort the image of Islam by saying that your verses, they, 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 they incite towards terrorism. Any one of them who reflects upon the seerah of the Messenger of Allah, any one of them who looks at the biography of the Messenger of Allah and the sunnah that he came with, he has no leg to stand on for the claims that he or she makes. So, the, so let that be known. Wa billahi tawfiq. Wa sallillahu ma'ala nabina Muhammad. Wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa aqimis salah.